1: Well, welcome back to the Old Caboose, friends. We're sitting back here by the cold stove today because it it's a chilly morning out there. And um, we're sitting here We it's been so much fun talking about, actually, we've been talking about Portugal, where it's warm, warmer than this. And it's been so nice talking with Lawton Eddy. Lawton Eddy is just a well-known poet and part of a poetry group. Well, before we, we lose the thread here, let's just say, Lori was definitely a part of that poetry group, but now she's passed away. She was only on this show once, and then for only part of a show with her poems. So we've been thinking, and I've been thinking, in fact, I wrote a little poem about Lori. I know this is a big, a big shift, but it's still, it's still railroad-y because we, we talked a lot, Lori and I, about the Northern Pacific Railway through her town. Her little town in, in uh, Wyoming. Montana. I, did I say Wyoming? I meant to say Montana. <laughs> That's all right. Because the Northern Pacific goes through yeah. Montana. And while I'm talking to you, I'm shuffling papers here. Anyway, here, Lori. Uh, she liked to wander down by the Northern Pacific tracks, nothing much else to do, not in a small Montana Plains town. She liked watching the Northern Pacific cabooses roll off, wondering where they were going. Where they were going on that old NP, liked watching the two NP red marker caboose lights getting smaller and smaller, then gone. Her girlfriends <laughs> didn't like that. Her girlfriends liked romance novels. Sometimes they'd read her a red-hot passage. What did happen behind the caddy's shack? How did she want to ab- attract those boys? But romance. Romance was far away, even in high school for Lori. Yes, there were boys and cars parked by those very same tracks, sweaty. One like she had was watching the two NP marker lights, getting smaller and smaller and then gone. At last, her magic came. It came with the touch of her very fingers. She could tell the truth about life in a poem like few others. Lori could sing the heart of the heart like the old melody it was. And the reader would say about that poem, well, that's me. She feels my pain. She laughs out loud with me. Lori had found her tribe. It was the poet's tribe and it sparkled. It danced, it freed souls. She ended up surrounded by love, but things change and life and death do happen. So I will see those red caboose marker lights getting smaller and smaller. I will say a line of poetry for Lori as I stand down by the northern Pacific tracks. I'll say goodbye as those two red marker lights get smaller and smaller and then gone. So a little poem for Lori for the reminiscences about being a kid and watching the northern Pacific roll by in her little town in Montana. I don't know that she ever said the name of her town.
0: What have- did
1: she ever say to you? Don't.
0: it doesn't come to mind no, I'm she, sure she did you know Montana just generally is such a part of her identity and um, that's why I was quick to say oh it's Montana <laughs> because yeah, yeah, <clears throat> Ma- some people call her Ma-Tana,
1: Ma-tana. So,
0: yeah because uh, she speaks so beautifully in her poetry of the sense uh, of place in yeah. Montana and yeah. it's so nice that you did that tribute to Miss Laurie James, who will be greatly missed and was such a lovely, calm and strong presence in my strong life and presence, many of boy. ours in Salida yes. over the years. Yes. And there was a beautiful tribute to her multi-part tribute this past weekend that a lot of us were immersed in. So thanks for, for invoking the lovely Laurie James. And also I wanna say you're very generous <clears throat> in your description of me as a well-known poet. So you know we all have it's everything's relative in our little fishbowl here in Salida, right? But, but thank you for it's, loving it's all relative.
1: It's <laughs> yeah, Boris, right. I was going to ask if you might get uh, Lawton's <laughs> autograph before you let her out of the uh, ah. this afternoon. Of <clears> the <throat> we're going to have her on the right above the old coal stove here in the Cahen <laughs> Radio Caboose. <laughs> yes. We're going to do that. Well, a lot, back to our discussion earlier. Why do some poets just uh, do what she did so well? Some poets just, they do seem to manage to capture this need that we have to follow that caboose down the line, that need that we feel there. My mind wanders a lot anyway, and these days more than usual. And I've often thought of so many times as a kid, watching a caboose go by and thinking, that's, that's my life. Where is where's that going? What? Why do we go to Portugal anyway? Or, Lord, jump in,
0: answer uh, all these
1: questions. Uh, You've got half an hour. I, I know,
0: no. you know, because of our prior conversations, um, kind of the multitude of thoughts you're wrestling with there and that we, yeah. we, we could talk about. Um, Lori in particular, I wouldn't call a great traveler. I think she was very at home in Montana and and in Colorado, and she traveled in the, in-betweens of of these places. But um, she was just very good at capturing a sense of place and very micro present moment of experiencing place. And I think that's what a a skilled poet does very well, is it takes out all the words that aren't that, that aren't this micro present moment, bringing those things into such focus that you feel very um, moved by it and very um, at one with the subject matter that of the poem. moment. So yes. and that's, that's traveling in its own way, right, is to be able to experience that place that a poet paints a picture of so beautifully. Um, in on a broader sense, travel and poetry, I suppose,
1: right.
0: kind of are about the sense of wonder we have for a larger picture and, and again, a smaller micro picture too. I was very aware in this trip that I took, which was four weeks of how much I thought about home. And it might've been more on this trip than any other trip. And I'm thinking of that, Portugal was beautiful. The people were friendly, the, um, the food was delicious. I enjoyed my time there, but. There were a lot of people there, and Americans in particular, who they were searching for their getaway from the United States home. I was struck by the contrast, you know, that people, how people are feeling about our country, how Americans might describe a mood in our country right now, not with a lot of pride, rather with a sense of, I'd like to not be in that, in that place right now because of what feels disjointed, disconnected, whereas the people talking about their country in Portugal were very proud of their country, very much kind of singing its virtues and praising. And I found my voice in that conversation was to praise my village, was to say, not speak of a country I'm part of or a mode of functioning in the greater picture of my country, but to say, I live in a small town where I feel like I can create my reality. I can tune in to the larger nonsense or not. I can be affected by that or not. I can have conversations with people who are mired in that or not. And I choose the not. I've been choosing the not over and over for a few years now. And I, I like to have conversations about what feeds me and nourishes me and engage in the things that feed and nourish me in a community that is full of people who made a conscious choice to come here. Certainly, many people were born and raised here, and they may have a whole different perspective on it and a different lens through which they look at it. But a lot of us chose an alternative lifestyle to the mainstream America that is duking it out right now. Um, and I know people do that here as well, but i I can feel happily immune to that by the choices I make and the things I do and look at and let in my mind and my eyes. So um, I found myself very happily talking about where I live. Whereas some of the other Americans were just so ready to move to Portugal, find their next home, find their place where things are calm and peaceful. And my sense of that is you bring yourself where you are wherever you yes,
1: are yes yes and if you're a person that's, that a, that's mired, a very good point point.
0: and i i believe if you're someone who's mired in that stuff you will be wherever you go so i don't mean that to be judgmental i understand certainly why people want something that feels less combative less colored by struggles for power and craziness and contributing to that with their taxes i totally understand why many of us want to escape that appreciate the reasons but um I felt in Portugal I was thinking more a lot about home this time and wondering about the whole notion that we talked about for us, of why we travel why do we travel and I think it's also a little colored by my age now as I'm in my mid-60s different reasons than when I was sort of tripping around and wanting Uh to explore and have adventures and just fun was the goal. And um, I've since then really wanted to be able to appreciate the cultural differences, the the differences that define culture, you know, the food and the tastes and the, the rituals and the way people gather and the way they do home and lifestyle. So I love traveling for those reasons as well. I've started a poem about searching for the village of our heart. And I think Ah. as human beings, we have an innate desire for a sense of home and our culture because it supports external gratification, like buying stuff and having stuff and accumulating experiences Um, maybe more than values we see traditionally in Europe and uh, like family and the connectivity of day-to-day interaction. It it doesn't have to be punctuated with great achievements and great heroic recreational accomplishments or the anticipation of a big getaway. You know, the the simplicity of that day-to-day village, that day-to-day container that is very nourishing. I'm thinking of a bike tour I signed up for as a mountain bike tour uh, along the cliffs in a town called Eresera, where there are beautiful beaches and a lot of surfing. I was longing to get up on those kind of cliffs. There's a plateau up there. And I thought, well, how hard a mountain bike ride can that be? You get up there and then it's it looks flat from here. <laughs> so i uh and i read reviews about it and it seemed like they really could accommodate all the levels and i do a little bit of that here i used to do a lot more you know i know my way around a mountain bike and a trail anyway so i i show up at this shop to get on my bike and go for this adventure and and the advertisement um, had said, you know, eight to 10 max people on the trip. Well, I was it, I was the only one that day. (laughs) It was early November by then. So, you know, a lot of the tourists weren't around anymore, but you know, they were still promoting the trip and I figured they'd cancel it if they didn't have enough. But apparently the young man in his twenties, who was the guide, local born and raised in that town, Portuguese with decent English, he needed to go out on this route and show show it to the young 20 something guy that would be taking his place because he was going to go off into the military so i had these two young men as my guides. oh my gosh and i it was what fun great. and when i needed to jump off because the single track was totally rutted out by mud and was super rocky you know i just thought why i mean, i'm not trying to yeah you know prove anything here i'm going to walk this piece or coming back up a pretty steep hill and a very narrow shoulder with cars going by it's not my idea of fun the rest of it was great and I kept up and I got up those hills and oh
1: my god a
0: a really nice sort of almost jungly feeling agricultural area along the river um on kind of a jeep road um dirt road and then they were up in the cliffs it was beautiful but I did get off and it was all rutted out and everything But anyway, the point I want to make with this story is that these youngsters already by their mid 20s were saying they missed what their town used to be like because they could find their families out and about and be with each other. They could find their friends, especially August, but also September, July, August, September is a crush of unfamiliar faces. And I thought, oh, my gosh this town is not even yet on the tourist books and it's, it's experiencing that. And um, I said, you don't know what's coming because here we are, we've lived through this in Salida, of course. Oh, I said, you don't even know what's going to hit you yet, but also, already by then, you know, I was thinking of the old timers, truly the, the men who are out with their fishing poles and having to dodge around the surfers and, you know, the, the people running around and um, on the beach and enjoying it. I was thinking it must be more acutely felt by them, but not necessarily. No, it's by by everyone. And the things we go to seek, this perhaps this village of our heart uh, where there's connection and um, sharing and a strong family culture, we change it by the very nature of our being there, of being one of so many that are seeking that and looking in these small, beautiful places for it. I thought a lot about that concept too in, on this
1: trip. Well, that summarizes the discussion, it, <laughs> it really does. And you'll recall we 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 glanced a little bit more at Salida, how it was that we got here. And you know, I, I don't know. Now I got here because of Ed Quillen. Quillen said, "No," he said, "You, you. This is where your sort of your he called them your literary friends are." Now, I'm not sure we were all that literary, but certainly I did have a lot of friends here who liked to read and talk about books and, you know, like to go to the humanist meetings, which he always made fun of. But, <laughs> but um, for sure, and um, that uh, village of the heart, I think a place like Salida could do that again. It could become that kind of village maybe again. And it would it would need things like the poetry group, and need things like getting a, getting the drama group back together again. You were never actually a big part of the drama group, but you did a few things. My wife, who uh, of course is basically housebound now, but back in those days she did a lot of, uh, worked a lot of shows behind the scenes. She really worked hard on Oh, the vagina monologues. That was, she was produced that one. And uh, she, that was really her village of the heart, I think. So that when the heart actually, the literal heart stops, which it does do, uh, as it just did for Lori, why um, you can sort of feel something added to the general, if you will, feeling beyond. Now, I don't want to get spooky about that. I mean, I, don't want to get into theology or anything like that. But just to say that there is something, that feeling that what Emerson and the New England Transcendentalists in this country talked about so much when they talked about the feelings of soul that would come out in a poem or a song or something like that. Not that that person wasn't gone. I mean, they were gone. Yes, gone, he G-O-N-E, gone for sure. But that some some part of them we were still around. And of course, when, when there's nobody left in that tribe, well, then it probably would be gone, gone, gone. Nobody in that tribe to say the name or recall the poem or, or whatever. Well, these are pretty deep thoughts. These are train mm-hmm. thoughts. These are the kind of thoughts you think on the train very much. That's uh, I think why we take trains. It gives us a little uh, ability to step back contemplative time yes not driving it's very relaxing you're watching the scenes go by the of our you know our country whatever and it's it's a great way to travel and uh i i used to make more time for it i i find i need to
0: get out and back faster than a train can, can do right now. (laughs) You know, I had a friend describe to me once that his wife was on a train from Colorado to Pennsylvania. And I thought, why would she take that much time? (laughs) And he said, you know, she loves it. And she really believes when she flies that her body gets somewhere before her soul catches up.
1: Aha! Uh-huh. And
0: then she said, "He said she a arrives. Good yeah. She arrives whole. She arrives whole." So when I got home from Portugal, I very much had the feeling that I wasn't yet all in in my body. It took a couple of days, sure, but the contemplative time, I suppose, that I took in the last week of my visit my stay in Portugal, which was um, not with my friend that I went with, but on my own, the traveling home time as well. I thought about this concept of home and being whole in one place and um, creating your own village really, and being responsible for that to a great extent. And, and the people I pull in to be close to and to support what nourishes me and my in my world and I, I my first week back was really quite an immersion in doing so I mean the time had changed and the, it was an early darkness and I had friends for soup around my table that I had missed and I had a women's circle. Um, with just sort of a deep conversation about aging really and ancestors and this metaphor of the changing seasons for this time in our lives. And then I had a gathering. I, I do a group called Shine um, right now. It's once a month, the second Tuesday. But that's a community that shows up just to wonder together about inspirations and stories from other people. So I realized that that's how I've sort of cobbled together a, a life here in a village with people that that are nourishing and interesting. And I think about travels in the future and. And if they could be, have more of a purpose, I suppose, um, going forward than just sightseeing, <laughs> you know, which has great mm-hmm. value. But I wanna be in a place that opens me up to something different, that lets me step out of myself and be, you know, fully in an experience of a different yeah. culture. And I, I do love that. But also, I think I'm gonna pursue travels where I can jump into maybe an immersive study of something, you know, I'm very interested in mycology, you know, the huge umbrella that everything fungi has under it, culinary, soil building, um, psychedelics and mental health support. There's just so much to learn and understand about fungi. And it's really quite an interesting subject these days. So I can travel to places where people are doing, Gathering seminars, workshops—you know—put things on my radar for travels where I can learn. I mean, the, the going to a rainforest and learning about what's growing—just the, the magic. I think it, it, all my travels need to have more nature. I've done a lot of history travels, focus travels, and Europe is much that way, but um, more nature immersive travel, I think, is in my future.
1: Well, oh dear. It, our, our time our time in the caboose <laughs> is, is wrapping up here, and we haven't even got to the other one that I was going to bring up, which is political, politics. No. Uh, no. I know. I know. You don't want to do it, but <laughs> we'll I, keep, I, keep, I keep saying that if we are going to save nature at all from the rapacious
0: sure. humans right.
1: that we are, save mm-hmm. any little bit that we don't eat up and spit out. It's going to have to be a political change somehow. And I know as much as we all hate to face that fact, that's that's another show,
0: right. <laughs> which, which is Railroad
1: Politics and yeah. which is uh, Colorado Colorado Association of Railroad Passengers. Just bring it up, pay your $10, be a member. This has been a fascinating, wide-ranging interview with Lawton Eddy. A very well-known local poet and and, and, who has just taken a lot and quite a few train trips and how that has helped her look at her long-term project of creating her village and that really tends to be here in uh, Salida, Colorado. All right, it's about time to give a signal to the engineer. If he's still awake, these engineers fall asleep. We're back here in the caboose talking philosophy. They're up there checking the signals ahead to make sure it's all green, and uh, all green, which all green, all green. So, how can we thank Lawton enough? I don't know. If, thank if you. K-N-K-
0: thank you so much. Oh, I enjoyed all of it.
1: You're welcome. Well, I keep doing this show year after year. I keep doing it. I I just do it. I, it's uh, seven o'clock. The alarm rings, and there I am. Uh, A.M. That is okay. <laughs> okay what fun what fun all right time to get I'm getting a fusee out of the fusee box or as they these days they call them fusee's which is a, in our vocabulary just a you just pop the top scrape the top off throw it off and there's a beautiful big red flare so nobody runs into you from behind and when we do that what do we say we say high ball okay so breathe in Breathe out. There goes the fusee. There goes in the snow the lovely red bloom. All right, we're going to do a highball. Five, four, three, two, one. Highball! 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 Let's get the poet in on this. Highball, whatever my, that means. Okay. High, high
0: <laughs> ball! High ball.